thank you for joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you from Atlanta in June of 2020. And today we're going to be talking about how domesticated animals are not the only animals killed by animal farming. What we don't see on the food packaging is that wild animals and other wildlife were also harmed and killed to produce meat, milk, eggs, and various meats, either directly or by habitat loss, pollution, or climate change which is why the conservation organization Center for Biological Diversity has an earth-friendly food campaign called Take Extinction Off Your Plate, a provocative title. Let's find out what they mean by that. Take Extinction Off Your Plate is a project of the Center for Bi Biological Diversity's Population and Sustainability Program, launched in 2014 to save wildlife and wild places. They use creative media and public outreach to raise awareness and run away human population growth about runaway human population growth and unsustainable consumption in the U.S. They note that meat production is responsible for more environmental degradation than any other single industry, and it will only get worse as the human population grows unless we take drastic steps to change our unsustainable eating habits and adopt an earth-friendly diet. Their websites are takeextinctionoffyourplate.com and biologicaldiversity.org. Our guest is Dr. Jennifer Molidor, Senior Food Campaigner at the Center for Biological Diversity. She helps lead the Center's sustainable food initiatives, including the Take Extinction Off Your Plate campaign. She drives the population and sustainability programs, earth-friendly diet initiatives related to industrial animal agriculture, overpopulation, and overconsumption. Before joining the center in 2015, Dr. Molidor worked on a number of food, wildlife, and environmental campaigns as the staff writer for the Animal Legal Defense Fund. She also taught for many years as a professor after she earned a PhD in English and Irish studies from the University of Notre Dame. Welcome, Dr. Molidor. Thank you, it's great to be here. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm gonna start with the end in mind by asking when, when you say take extinction off your plate and eat an earth-friendly diet, what defines an earth-friendly diet that protects wildlife in terms of what food wouldn't, wouldn't be on our plates? Well, the main thing that won't be on our plate is meat, dairy, and seafood, and that includes any, any form of animal agriculture. Um, we encourage meat reduction. We're not... Um, an elimination campaign. We, we encourage reduction. Um, we know that what works for the United States won't necessarily work for other countries around the world. And we urge plant-forward diets, but the, the best state diet to eat really, and this is substantiated by global studies, um, in terms of mitigating climate change, reducing water waste, um, habitat loss, species extinction, is to really have a strongly plant-focused diet. I know. Um, in my studies on other environmental and conservation groups, I find that they all admit that farming and fishing is environmentally problematic and causes climate change, wastes natural resources, harms wildlife and ecosystems. So they often agree on the problem, but their solutions vary. Some of the groups like Greenpeace will say that the solution is consumers reducing meat consumption. And then other groups like the World Wildlife Fund will say the solution is that consumers don't need to change their diets, but instead all farming and fishing industries should make improvements to become more quote unquote sustainable. How does this compare to your campaign solutions at the Center for Biological Diversity? Yeah, thank you for asking. That's a good question. And other organizations are coming at this a little bit differently and they're doing good work, but the way we think about it, for example, is that we can make personal changes now and we can make 
pressure on the marketplace by making those personal changes now that will lead to systemic change. We can also at the same time advocate for systemic change um, from corporate changes, what's on the menu um, at restaurants and you know, what's in grocery stores to food service providers to public policy at every level, um, state, you know, local and federal, and really combine that together because what's clear is that we need wide scale changes. So for example, Something like a Meatless Mondays campaign is a really great way to start for some um, venues. So for example, maybe a city ordinance might start with a Meatless Monday. So that procurement and purchasing at that particular level um, at every you know, sort of government facility in the city is gonna experiment with this experience of having different menus and eating different types of food. And that's a way to start making a change in diet, but it's not nearly enough. And then when you look at campaigns that advocate for just um, reform, as you said, for those industries, the problem is it's not taking into account the two main factors that are putting pressure on us. So I work in a population and sustainability program. So we might get a response from the public says, well, it's not really our diet, it's just the population. But those two things are inherently entwined. So the enormous amount of pressure we're putting on the planet with our population is demonstrated by our consumption levels, right? So we need to tackle that problem systemically. We need to understand that um, for Americans, for example, who eat three or maybe even four times the global average in meat consumption, we're putting an enormous amount of pressure on the planet, even while other countries have maybe larger populations, we're kind of imbalancing that. So a solution is going to need to take that into account. And that means that we can't reform um, our current agricultural practices enough unless we are also considering the consumption aspect too. And that's one of the things that makes us unique um, we want to advocate for more sustainable forms of agriculture, for sure. But if we don't tackle consumption, if we, if we try to get around this idea of meat reduction um, and significant meat reduction on a widespread scale in America, we're not going to be able to reform those practices because they just can't be sustainable at the level of production that we have right now, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you're mentioning that because sometimes I feel that it's unrealistic for some groups to act like we can all suddenly eat as much meat as we normally do and it's going to be from all grass-fed cows or something, As also as if there's no problems with that or that we can fix animal agriculture and then, but, you know, and then have it be sustainable but also feeds, you know, over 7 billion people who seem to be having an increasingly meat-based diet. So those things, like you say, just don't work together. Um, mm -hmm. And so I like that you're tackling it at the industry level, but also on the de demand and consumer side, as well as on some of the policy changes that would foster um, both of those things and make it easier for people and farmers to, you know, have more meat, have more plant-based foods. That's right. And, and we need to tackle that from the policy level. You know, we could have better subsidies and financial support for more sustainable farmers, and that's going to be produce farmers, for example, but also to help farmers scale down to what would be a more sustainable level. Um, so, for example, there's, as you kind of alluded to, this tension between factory farms, this massive industrial agriculture, animal agriculture, 
and grazing grass-fed <clears throat> and those two things are not really as separate as you might think you know the enormous amount of cruelty pollution climate change that comes from factory farms is just devastating and we're seeing that now and we're also seeing the human impacts with the workers that are in the slaughterhouses the meatpacking industry infected by COVID-19 but the alternative um, grass-fed or sometimes even kind of one step further regenerative grazing just can't work at the current consumption level because you know the best well-intentioned farmers with the best well-intentioned plans the current stocking rates in order to meet the consumption demand just can't have sustainable practices so it would be better for farmers as well to be able to scale down reduce the stocking rates reduce the impact on the environment if we have um, we get rid of factory farms we scale down we reduce our consumption so that we can have more sustainable practices. And so studies have been, have been done recently that show, for example, that if we transfer to just a grass-fed system, we would only be able to sustain 30% of the current beef production. So we can't keep eating right. what we're eating. We're, going, we're having such an enormous impact on our planet right now. It just can't continue. We're going to have to scale back. And so we need to look at that seriously and, and think about what that means in terms of how much we need to scale back. Yeah. Um, Dr. Mulder, let's talk more about the problems with the animal agribusiness industry in terms of its effects on wildlife and species in particular. Because we all know that domesticated animals are clearly harmed by being bred, contained often in tight quarters without much freedom of choice, fattened up or milked, and then slaughtered. But people probably don't think that when they buy dairy, milk, or animal flesh that other animal species, wild animal species, are harmed or even killed. Can you tell us some primary ways that wild animals are affected by our food choices? Yeah, I think it's, it's a, really the message I want to get out there is to help people understand how wild animals and wild places are impacted by our diet as well. Because as you say, people are starting to get the message, I think, you know, eating pork hurts pigs and, right. and, and, and cows and that kind of thing. But animals from bison to wolves to prairie dogs and all kinds of animals in between, salamanders, um, any variety of birds and so on. Animals are hurting and they're hurting um, really from five main sort of categories, right? Um, climate change, first of all, and species extinction or loss of biodiversity. Habitat loss and the degradation of habitat. Um, pollution, pollution of air, water, you know, pollution from manure, soil erosion, that kind of thing. Water and land use or waste, the enormous amount of water, for example, that it takes to feed a cow. Um, the enormous amount of land for feed crops, which is you know, something like 80% of the agricultural land um, used in America is going to feed animals to feed us. And it's just wow. not a system. Um, and, then, and one of the things that a lot of environmental groups or a lot of environmental oriented people don't know about or don't mention is direct wildlife killing. Yeah. So you might think that if I'm going to eat a burger, besides my health issues, it's going to hurt a cow. Well, it's also going to hurt a wolf, most likely, right? So there's livestock conflicts with um, native species like wolves. And so a lot of animals are shot and killed directly or trapped using cruel methods and using environmentally irresponsible methods that often aren't uh, part of the legal, legally required um, environmental re review. There's a lot of problems with cruelty. 
so we have this program that people don't know about very often. It's called Wildlife Services. And it's just one example of this kind of direct wildlife killing um, from livestock conflicts or perceived life, livestock conflicts or perceived inability to resolve it without um, non-lethal control. And so that's a federal program through right. the USDA that really for years now um, kills millions of native wild animals. Uh. They do so primarily for the livestock industry. They also do so for the airlines and, and some other purposes, but it's primarily for the livestock industry. And so that can mean um, shooting, trapping any number of animals from, from prairie dogs to wolves. And you can see this even, um, this type of killing, not from wildlife service, but this, this type of killing even in national parks. So another example beyond the wildlife services program um, is the national park conflict. We see bison killed every year, you know, this traditional American animal and this traditional animal representing Yellowstone. Um, bison are killed every year by the Park Service in Yellowstone for the cattle who are outside the park. Um, there's that conflict there and in California where I'm from, Northern California, there's conflict on the National Seashore, which is the national park here in um, Point Reyes. And the tula elk are the native species and they're being um, hazed and shot and killed by the uh, Park Service there in order to protect cows who are grazing on public lands that they shouldn't be grazing on and um, really in violation of a contract that they made many years ago. So these conflicts, you know, you might drive around and see these animals, but you don't see the conflict behind them and you don't consider that necessarily, at least it's not intuitive when you're eating right. your meals. Um, how this is impacting species. And you know, just really not having clean air and water, um, grazing riparian areas, grazing in the arid west, these things impact all these species in this area. We hear the argument all the time that, you know, it's okay to graze animals in the arid west because nothing else can grow there. And what else people are overlooking, there's quite a bit of wildlife in right. those areas. And, and so that is really an impact significantly. Um, 175, for example, endangered species are imperiled by public lands grazing. Um, wow. you know, just 50% of, of endangered wildlife are in the United States are impacted by livestock. That's awful. For, for those of us, those of you just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature, and I'm host Carrie Freeman interviewing Dr. Jennifer Molidor, senior food campaigner at the Center for Biological Diversity. More info can be found at these websites, biologicaldiversity.org, and Take Extinction Off Your Plate. Dr. Molidor, the Take Extinction Off Your Plate campaign has some interesting food labels as an educational device where you rewrote the label so instead of showing nutritional stats, they show stats on the wildlife and ecosystems harmed by each type of animal food, like beef, pork, chicken, and dairy. And since I'm in Georgia and our state has the most chickens raised for their flesh, can you tell us how the poultry industry affects specific wild animals and habitats? Sure. Um, we have this Extinction Facts Labels campaign. It looks like Nutrition Facts Labels, as you said, and we originally were kind of passing them out to college students. We had 100,000 college students passing Great. them. Out. And now we distribute them in, in all different kinds of ways. And they're really a helpful way to tell the story of how individually and systemically and collective level um, what we're eating on our plate affects these specific animals. So as you know, poultry is a big business in, in Georgia. It's consolidated heavily into just a few um, corporate 
industrial facilities. And there's a number of problems with chicken, and I, I probably don't have time to go into right. all of them, but um, there's substantial evidence that the high density poultry of CAFOs or factory farms in, in Georgia are having major impacts on watersheds in Georgia. Um, and this can come from emissions from ammonia, hydrogen sulfide, uh, poultry dust, bacteria, the debris, um, manure, um, the polluted air is impacting the workers, it's impacting the local residents, and it's impacting yeah. wildlife as well. Um, there's any number of, of wild species who are impacted by this, and, and this is a real big deal in terms of regulations being violated um, with the Clean Water Act and so on. Just mega concentration of, of, of chickens here. And, you know, investigations have shown um, that operators are, are not paying attention to these regulations at all. They're not in compliance. And so we have some lawsuits there and we have um, you know, other people to talk to that are more knowledgeable about that. But I do know also that, you know, the intense confinement of chicken, something like 9 billion chickens um, into these just hellhole facilities awful. Are, are probably the key way in terms of animal agriculture um, that we're going to see the rise of the spread of pandemics in the United States in the future. That's really where we are most vulnerable. You know, we have key issues with manure contamination, with antibiotic use, with cruelty, with the close confinement and disease, and that's just ripe for uh, a greater spread of, of another pandemic. And so we're going to see that from close confinement of the animals as well as the inhumane treatment of workers who have to work in that industry. And we only have just a few minutes, but I wanted to ask you what kind of outreach you do to let people know about the Take Extinction Off Your Plate campaign um, and in terms of like how do people react or has there been a particular accomplishment you want to share with us? Um, you know, just we, we do it across the board. We work with um, policies. We work with, you know, like I was telling you about the college kids, but we also work with corporate campaigns. Um, I remember we worked with one of the food service providers at the Atlanta public school system, for example. Great. The, um, you know, the USDA foods program, the child nutrition program. It's really important to change th those types of meals as well. Not only yeah. will we individually um, provide for our children, but what are the meals that are served to children in need in 30 million children participate in this program. And so when we get back to normal and, and we have the schools back, right. uh, we really need to make a change in that area. And another, another um, area actually is food waste, which you know thinks about food waste as its own problem with all the resources that took it to go into growing food. But when you consider that meat, dairy, and seafood have this colossal impact on the environment to produce and to begin with, then it also has this huge environmental footprint when they are wasted as well. So we've had some success. We did a ranking system with grocery stores um, where we urged them to uh, reduce their waste and prevent it rather than just donate it. Right. Um, we have corporate campaigns like that and they were uh, pretty successful. We've released some reports recently. So we also do research and science as well as litigation and popular um, consumer campaigns as well. We just released a report and we're about to do another one um, that gave scenarios where, and I don't think I mentioned this before, we looked at scenarios in order to mitigate climate change according to the best models that we have. Um, we're not going to be able to mitigate climate change and meet our climate goals unless we reduce animal 
agriculture unless we reduce how much meat that we're eating as Americans. And it's pretty serious. It recommends in these scenarios that we cut back by 50% of all meat, dairy, and seafood, and particularly that we reduce 90% of our beef consumption. Wow. So that's going to be something that's going to be thinking differently about the way that we um, cook our meals, how often we eat meat, this, the portion sizes, and it's going to affect kind of restaurants and how what they're selling and how they're selling it and, and that kind of thing. And we have a number of resources on our website for um, recipes and other on your social media, on taking extinction off your plate.com. And so, you know, individually you can start dipping your toes into that, but you can also sort of support our campaigns for larger systemic change as well. Yeah, is that is the take extinction off your plate.com the main uh, resource that you would recommend in terms of anyone that's listening that wants to get more involved? Yeah, I think there's a number of ways you can get involved. I think, you know, you, if you're interested in um, things that I share, you can follow my personal Twitter, but we also have Choose Wild on Facebook um, and Twitter. We're on Instagram, we're on um, any number of other platforms. Um, I have a, a blog series on Medium, you can follow that. Um, and we release our reports, we have a catering report. Um, we have the recent University of Michigan report that I mentioned, we have those on our website as well. And if anybody has any questions and you want more information than I can give you now, um, you're welcome to contact me at earthfriendlydiet at biologicaldiversity.org. Earthfriendlydiet at biologicaldiversity.org. And your name is Jennifer Molidor, M-O-L-I-D-O-R. That may help people find you on Twitter and the different uh, resources that you mentioned. Well, that's the end of our show, but I want to thank you, Dr. Jennifer Molidor, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. We appreciate the important work you do at the Center for Biological Diversity to save life on Earth. Thank you so much. Yeah, take care. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, online at wrfg.org, non-Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com slash Nature. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of Radio Free Georgia. I'm host Carrie Freeman. Take care of yourself and others, including other species. And please support independent, non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. Thank you.